History Under Pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Right, I am looking out my window here at the uh, at the spectacular Hilton Americas, beautiful downtown Houston. The sun is uh, the the setting sun is reflecting off of our very glassy buildings. We have a lot of a lot of glass on the buildings here, and uh, and, and I'm here because uh, yesterday and today we've been at the Rockwell Automation Fair which uh, is taking place here at the George R. Brown Convention Center. If, you, if, you've, if you're in the oil and gas industry and, you, and you've ever been to any sort of industry event in Houston, I'm sure that you have been to the George R. Brown or the GRB, as we, uh, as we like to say. Now, if you're, not at, uh, if you're not at Automation Fair right now, uh, which, is a, which is a fantastic event, um, then you are missing out on uh, not only is, uh, is it a... Is it a sunny sky with uh, just a few clouds drifting by? But it is a balmy 77 degrees here in Houston on, uh, on November 10th in 2021. So for those of you, um, those of you cold weather friends, uh, this, you know, this, this right now, this is it. October, November, uh, Houston, Houston, Texas is the place to be for the good weather. The rest of the year, you know, well, okay, we get the same thing later in the spring. But anyway, um, I am here. Why am I here? Oh, yeah. So, um, and and you're probably wondering, but you live in Houston. Why would you be staying at the hotel uh, for this uh, for this event? And the answer is very simple. Uh, if you're not, if you haven't spent a lot of time around Houston, then um, what you might not know is that it's um, it's really it's big, uh, like in terms of miles. Uh, you can, if you live in the Houston suburbs, you can be easily be 20, 30, 40 miles uh, outside of downtown. And as you know, uh, so and you know how how the schedule goes when you're at a, at a conference, and you know there's things to do early in the morning and late at night. And anyway, it's a lot. Of, uh, it's it's kind of a tradition for <laughs> for a lot of local folks. To uh, go ahead and get uh, and get a hotel right there by uh, right you know right ne- right next to the convention center just makes things a lot more uh, a lot more convenient. So uh, so thanks to uh, thanks to our friends at Rockwell for putting on this event and having uh, both 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 me and uh, and also Mark Lacour. You might have heard of that guy. He runs around OGGN here, and uh, we are we're moderating panels for this uh, for this event. And I, I I did mine this morning actually. The Chemicals Industry Forum it was a, a two-hour panel. Fantastic, excellent. The panelists were great. The content was really great. The moderator did manage not to ruin the whole thing, and uh, and Mark is doing his tomorrow. So so if you are, you know, well, what, what am I saying? You're not gonna you're not gonna hear this till next week. So uh, so if you missed it, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say. If you missed it. I believe that there's going to be on-demand access. Uh, you have to, I think you have to go online and register. But, you know, you just look for Rockwell Automation Fair and you can register and, and uh, you can, uh, we, can, we, can, we can take a vote maybe. maybe. Maybe Mark and I will have a contest to see who, the, uh, who is the most, uh, the fairest, the, fa- the fairest of them all, 
in the world of panel moderation. Anyway, there is a connection to uh, to the episode today. Uh, and, and I mean, apart from the fact that this is where I happen to be right at this moment, and so I thought I should talk about it. But there is a connection because well, as we were walking around earlier today, we were walking around the exhibit hall, um, which was uh, quite quite large and quite a lot of people. It's really great to see so many people out, out and about again. Um, and and we we uh, we stumbled on the, one of the booths uh, from our friends over there at Stratus Technologies, and lo and behold, in the Stratus Technologies booth, we did run into uh, into one of our great OGGN friends and uh, supporters. Uh, he's a guy who o- always is ready to step in whenever we need somebody smart to talk about something interesting, and that is exactly what is happening in this episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the OGGN Spotlight, Mr. Corey Alemont. And that does bring us to our guest today. I am sitting here. This is a special day, actually, because uh, I do have Corey Alemont. Yes. Did I say it right? <laughs> remember, remember the very first time that. So, so here's the story: is Corey was you? I don't know if you remember this, but you were the first guest that I had when I took over the the tech show from Mark Lacour when he was doing it before. You were the you were the very first one. Remember, Mark and I kind of did it together. Yes. Yeah. And you were and you were teaching me how to say your name correctly on that one. So here we are. That was a year ago, actually. That was that was a little more than a year ago. So all right. So back to who back to who Corey is. <laughs> so Corey is uh, like the head guy for oil and gas uh, for Stratus Technologies. Yes, sir. Correct. Is that I don't know if that's what it says on your business card, but I know like like you're the head honcho when it comes to the oil and gas uh, uh, industry. At Stratus yes, I'm the global leader for oil and gas at Stratus Technologies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Global leader. So what, is it, what does that mean to be it the global means I, leader? I used uh, to book a lot of air miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going, you told me before you said you're going to Abu Dhabi week. this week. Yes. Right? Oh, actually, next, no, Friday. Next week. Friday. Next, <laughs> Friday. Friday, which is in Abu Dhabi. Is that still this week or is that next well, week? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't get there until change. Saturday night, basically Sunday morning. So I guess it's next week. <laughs> okay. Right, right. Well, and you know, plus we had the daylight savings ended the other day, and now I can't. I don't know what. I don't know what time it is. Half the time anymore. So, um, uh, and uh, Strata. So, I, I, so we have some interesting stuff today. We're going to talk about. We're going to kind of like a little edge compute smorgasbord that we're going to like go through. But, um, but before that, uh, so, so tell us about Stratus. So we sure, get that yeah. part so out. Stratus of it. Technologies, uh, basically been in the compute business for forty years. Started in the data center. Forty years. Forty years. 40 years. You, you should say that part slower because people because there's not too many companies that have been can say forty years. So you, you got to give that yeah, time to sink in. Spin off uh, as a as a computer data center uh, kind of provider back in the late '80s. Uh, Basically, most of the business for the first 30 plus years was banking, finance, uh, data center, telecommunications, um, media, anything where the data has to be there, always on, always available, is where Stratus kind of core products really cut their teeth. And the business grew from there. Uh, Now we're actually in industrial automation. Uh, we're touching compute, uh, you know, our edge devices do go down to 
capable of being installed in a cabinet, uh, but they're still not your basic edge compute because it's still an edge server. We, you know, our, our computers sure. go down to about two yeah. terabytes, but that's like the base level. So if, if you're looking for a small yeah. IPC, that's probably not us, but uh, we do a lot of dynamic things with the edge uh, and the edge servers, uh, you know, bringing things from the data center uh, that used to be related to uh, redundancy and virtualization and actually bringing that all the way out to the industrial edge, whether it's used on a machine or in a cabinet, uh, to collect real-time data, right. process data, depending on what the, the, the job may be. Gotcha. Okay, right, right. I mean, I knew that already, but now now everybody else now everybody else knows that. So um, the reason why I know that is because Corey's a great friend of uh, OGGN, Stratus also, and you've been on several... Uh, well, you're always you're always willing to show up and be on a panel, <laughs> whenever. Even though the last one, I I, 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 I I made you come join the panel, and then I wasn't there because I had that that little bug that's been going around here the last uh, twenty months or so. Um, so, so uh, today, um, so you mentioned edge, 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 edge. Edge is a big topic right now, um, and at the risk of having too many episodes talking about edge computing. I think this one's interesting because so we were talking earlier and you said that you have a customer who's and I know we, we probably can't talk about names or whatever, but but somebody's doing something pretty interesting Absolutely. right now, like actually doing it on at, yeah, at the, edge, the, right? the so, integration of uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence happening on a skid in the middle of nowhere uh, where, you know, measurements are being taken. Uh, put into an application and then uh, run into a couple of different functions and, and the correct values are being readjusted you know, for a real-time application uh, removing H2S content from gas flow. Uh, you know, they, um, basically in that application you've got huge variables in gas flow as well as H2S content. You've got a base material that needs to be combined with the gas in the H2S and then an agent, and then the amount of agent depends on the amount of H2S. Uh, so obviously all this stuff is being measured in real time. Used to be the job of someone to sit on site and look at those measurements coming in and determine how much agent needed to be put into the reaction. Um, that's all yeah, being yeah. done autonomously now. Right, right. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll back sure. up just a little bit. First of all, I was kind of embarrassed to ask you this before, but um, H2S is... Is hydrogen sulfide very, very, very deadly gas? Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, we don't want that. Every basically every reservoir around the world just depends on the level of content, depending on how you have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the gas is coming out, and the H two S has to be removed. So this is a so this is a a, a standard yes. operation, right? Like like people have been doing this, right? It's been, for a it's, long a, time. it's a very standard application. It's done around the world. There are a few different ways to do it. Uh, this type of application has come a, a common application that's been used for a long time. And like I said, it used to be very kind of um, uh, manually uh, administered and monitored. Uh, so, as you can imagine, not very cost-effective, uh, having to have someone always on site, manage, managing it, making adjustments. Uh, and if you didn't make your adjustments in the right time, you filed the agent, which means you had to shut down. So, uh, the, the client uh, is required for, you know, a certain uptime and availability of the skid. Uh, so, basically, it used to be a 24-7 manned operation. Uh, and... 
through the use of our edge servers, uh, you know, because we bring redundancy and virtualization to the edge on their skid, they've got multiple computers talking to each other, running this application, talking to the on-site historian, and basically performing the operation as the data comes in real time, feeding it into those scripting algorithms, and then the algorithms turn around and feed back to the controller what adjustments to make for the process to remain uh, operational. Ah, so, okay. And this is good, right? Because we, especially in all of this digital transformation stuff that everybody's trying to do, like autonomous operations is one of those things that, uh, you know, whenever people talk about digital transformation and why we want to do it, um, you know, uh, uh, automation always is one of the sort of generic objectives, um, along with, uh, what are the other ones? It's always automation and um, uh, uh, like the, like decision making well, and uh, optimization. Speed of like decision what, making, what, it's, it's in that laundry list. Right? Uh, remove people from hazardous locations. Right. I mean, all these things are important yeah, yeah, get people to out the, of the industry red zone. as a whole. Right. As we you know move to you know to becoming a, a bigger and better deal. You know, to, to put it yeah. kind of start the BBD thing, kind of, you know, how do, how do we get better at what we're doing today and how do we become safer right. at what we're doing today? And I think this accomplishes yeah. two things. It, it makes the, the skidded unit more efficient because you don't have the cost overhead of the 24-7 manned operation, but also you're removing an individual from an, an application that has a deadly yeah, gas yeah. involved. Yeah, we always, always, always good. Um, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about how many like family members would probably like to have their in certain individuals in the family removed from something that has a deadly gas involved. But I don't know if you, I don't know if there's an automation solution the, for that. The, exactly. The, the autonomous, autonomous algorithm that, that makes that happen. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something. Somebody's working on that somewhere. I'm, I'm certain. But uh, so. Um, no, but my point is that we a lot of times we talk about these these benefits, like you just said, we sort of talk about them in the abstract because we sort of sum it all up and say, well, if we can do these kinds of things with with analytics and real-time data and da 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 da, da then we will be able to reap the benefits of things like, you know, uh, remote control and autonomous operations and getting people at blah, 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 all that stuff, right? But here's a case where, like, we're, we've moved beyond the abstract, right? And this is like a real, this is a, a real operation that, uh, like, like, you have to get, like, this isn't no, a proof of concept. this is happening today right? in, is, in, in, yeah. in practice uh, and, and functioning and uh, you know the, our customer has been able to reduce their overhead costs uh, so, so their, their customer benefits at the end of the day as well as they've exceeded their contracted uptime and availability for the, for the skids so I mean we're, we're helping them become yeah. more successful and then but in turn they're helping their customers operations to stay up and running so it, 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 okay. it's what's really you know, cool about it is, you know, we've been talking about, like you said, in abstract for a number of years, but this is it. This is, right. this is you know, letting the computers do the math stuff, because this is all math based in physics. I mean, it's, it's certain reagents based on certain levels of content. And, and so let the computers do the math, math problems, because they can do it faster and more accurately than we can. And uh, push the button and let well, it go. And it's cool because it's, it's a real-time operation, right? So it's not like let the computers do the math stuff on, like, like 
figuring out where the oil right. is, right? Which is sort of like like this, which, which can happen today or tomorrow or in the next five years, or and we can run it five different ways, and all that stuff is actually is fascinating too. But this is this is a, a real time operation where um, where the computers. So so there's a lot of things that had to happen for this, to, right? So because I want to talk about what did it take to actually implement such a miracle of modern science? Um, and not only the technical implications, but somebody had to like let go of the right. steering wheel, right? And trust that it was gonna be right. So how did, how did they get from not having this thing to not only having it and it works, but like being able to back away from it and let it run? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things to unpack in that statement. I think there's a... And, and it, don't no, tell me no, it took three years. No, it did not. Because that, that just no, wipes out the whole story. It surprisingly happened years. within, you know, <laughs> uh, um, you know, less than a year. So in a matter of months. Okay, well, that's uh, good. They were able, able to take this vision. And uh, once the customer understood what was available in the market from a compute perspective, they were already trying to tackle this issue on their own. Uh, and looking at mm -hmm. what solutions were available to make this happen, and uh, we got introduced to them through uh, a third party. And once we started having conversations about what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go and understanding how we could support them from a platform perspective, uh, they did several months of lab testing and then several months of field testing with personnel on site. And, uh, you know, they already had a lot of the software piece tackled. Uh, and it was just a matter of really being able to find the right provider to give them the edge solution with the availability and support that they felt like they needed in order to meet their uh, uptime uh, requirements for their uh, SLAs. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, um, so th so this was an initiative that they had. Th did they develop yes. it all in house? Was it? Is it a so? Whew. So now they got to maintain it. Now they got to maintain it. Thank, thank God they have good yeah, hardware. Sir, you know, I think it, it's 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 you know it's always fun to meet the kind of guys that have this vision, and and this gentleman yeah. is no exception to that rule. Uh, had an idea, right. knew he could figure out a way to make it work, but didn't know how, and uh, yeah, had the right amount of uh, you know uh, data scientists and and programmers and script writers available to him and his organization and they basically said okay we can make this happen and they did okay all right so but as we all know there's a big difference between making something like that work in the lab so to speak and architecting it and making it work in the real world where you have lots of things to consider uh, right, like how are you gonna and and they have it they have it running in just one place or they have it running in multiple, uh, multiple locations in West Texas. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to call West Texas <laughs> one place, but but no, but like multiple well, <laughs> multiple well, locations. Part of their challenge is is you know they they tried to develop this as something that they could run remotely across the network into their control center. But the, yeah. the environment, right, uh, and, and a lot of folks are familiar with the West Texas, Texas landscape, uh, you know, you can't always get 4G or even LGE, uh, you know, you, you may yeah. struggle to get yeah, a cell yeah. service anywhere. Uh, 
Right. You may have to just put like a big, <laughs> huge spool of Cat 5 in the back of your pickup <laughs> and just drive down the road with it and let it out as you go. So, so communications um, challenges no, so, actually drove them to think about how to make this happen on the, at the edge in a contained environment. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to get to is, is um, because... Not to take anything away from the data scientists and the and the the script geniuses, but um, writing those algorithms is really just one piece of it, right? Like, how do I? And if I'm the, you know, if I'm the IT person or whoever's in charge of all that, right? Like, you know, you've seen you see these projects come along and people say, "Look at this wonderful thing that we created." And then I look at it and I go, "Well, this is great. How am I supposed to deploy it, secure it, operate it, support it, right? All of that." So, um, and now you're talking about the edge, so it gets into that that big question of you know, what to do in the cloud versus what to do with the ed- I mean, it's Presumably, they got to take this. I mean, the data is is well. Actually, that's a question I should ask you. So, so the thing, so the magic box is reading the data and then saying, "Uh oh, like there's like this doesn't smell right," and adjust the stuff to right. Is, is that just a self-contained operation, or is that data useful elsewhere? And now we're talking about connecting to the cloud to get it into something else, and they want to run analytics on it, or, or yeah, what's right. the scope so, there? Uh, because we're provo- we're providing our edge server at the end, we're running virtualization on the edge. Uh, so at the edge, they run their homegrown application, they run their SCADA application, and then in a separate virtual machine, uh, they have. Uh, an on-site historian. So between those three applications, using three virtual machines to run in our environment, uh, that historian is synced across the cloud back to a historian at Ah. the control center. Right. It has to be, right? Because it was already, because you already need that. Everything that that happens on-site is logged in the on-site historian, and when communication networks allow, they use the cloud to bring all that historian data back and sync it into uh, um, historian data, right. a historian at the control center, and then they actually run further scripting on the historical data to begin to build asset profiles and preventive maintenance right. and other things like that. So it's a, it really is yeah. a true edge cloud convergence to allow them to be able to perform these applications at the edge, but then to be able to bring it all back into the control center to be able to monitor and understand what's happening yeah, in the environment. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's all the rage now, right? Is we wanna we don't want to just leave that data in the historian. We want to do things with it so that we can improve. And that's what um, they're using the cloud for to bring I'm, all that I'm stuff curious. back. So yeah, so it really is bring the back, edge so and cloud as a combined asset to perform some you know really cool s- stuff when it comes to autonomous operation. Right, but what they're not trying to do is send all the data back to the cloud. So, so the processing that's needed to like adjust to remove the the H two S from the gas stream, right? Like, that's they're not going to try to do that. Well, that that would be like problematic that. because if you have too much reagent or not enough reagent, depending on the content of H two S, you can file the foul the whole application and no, basically yeah, would have that. to shut down the right. skid. So, because right. they they can't have communications outages or lost links when they want to make these adjustments, it has to be done on site. So therefore, the application runs automatically on site. Having that data run through the cloud and relying on either 
someone at the control center to make those adjustments or to be able to try to run the autonomous application in the cloud environment could cause problems where they would actually have more shutdowns and maybe more downtime than, you know, than would yeah, be accepted. Yeah. And we know the industry loves downtime. That's, that's, that's our Unplanned favorite downtime, thing. the bane of everyone's <laughs> existence, right? Is, it is, it's more expensive than people. Um, so, right. So, so there's a little bit of a pattern there. So I have, I'm like, I have a background way, way back when, when I was involved with um, software teams back before they had all the cool toys that they do now that allow you to build applications in like five minutes. Um, you know, we had these things called design patterns and, uh, um, and it was sort of like, okay, certain types of problems can be solved in, in consistent ways and, and this is how you do it. And so you, what you're describing there is kind of a, like a pattern for, okay, if the operation, if whatever the thing is, if it's critical to the operation at hand, then you want to be able to do that um, on site, right. right? You may also, you know, or you want to at least have the option for doing it on site. Um, uh, and, but, it, but if the operation is something that you're going to use for a future purpose or it feeds some other thing or what have you, then, then, you know, your tolerance for breaking communications is different. Then you just want to be able to preserve what's happening on site and sync right. it up later. Right. Is that is that kind of the like that's the decision making process for all these things? Yeah, Something I like mean, that. I think, you know, when you think about and, you know, go back to the, the criticalness of the op application. Right. If 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 this thing stops working, are we able to operate? And and if and if the yeah. answer is yes, uh, then then, right. you know, OK, well, we're good. If the answer is no, then you need to do everything you can to make sure that that, that application continues to operate at the edge. And yeah. Well, the question, there's a sub-question. If the answer is no, then the sub-question is, right. does it matter? Right? Right. Well, it's possible that if it stops operating, it doesn't matter. For, right? that, isn't that the next question in the yeah. uh, decision tree? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, uh, well, and I, I'm just getting into this because, you know, there's so much... There's so much discussion about, um, you know, doing everything. I, I mean, I, I think there's not too many people now who are pushing the idea of, well, you can just do everything in the cloud. Um, because even the major cloud providers, uh, the major public cloud providers, are now bringing on-site edge, you know, infrastructure kind of solutions into their, into their game plan. Well, I, I think um, as we begin but, to do more with these types of applications, I mean, having them operate in the cloud does pose a little bit of a challenge, right? So like I said, if, if that thing's in the cloud and you lose a communications link, can you still operate? If you can't, yeah. then, then let's get right. that running on the edge then and make sure that it's resilient enough to run on the else, edge right. and, and that you can, can still conduct your operations. Connectivity to the cloud is wonderful and there's a whole lot of things you can do with that data down the road but being able to collect it in real right, time and right. have it and always have it. Yeah, yeah that's the you know, thing. And, yeah. and does it all need to be yeah, in the yeah. cloud or what needs to be in the cloud? What doesn't need to be a cloud? And what type of cloud service are you available to depending on what part of the world you're you know, located in, and what are the communications challenges and all that kind of stuff comes into play, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there's, there's some other stuff too, right? There's some, there's some considerations. By the way, I meant to ask you before. Um, I'm just curious. So this customer, were they... Did, had they already virtualized the SCADA 
um, uh, and the historian, or was that sort of part of this effort? Because that's a big thing right there, virtualizing Yeah, aspects, so, so right? we had done some work with them previously, but yes, so they were running uh, the, the SCADA in a virtual environment. They, their intent was, that was part of the project. They wanted to move the SCADA to the edge. So being able to run it in a virtual environment was going to be the way to go to be able to have the redundancy they needed at the edge. So it, the, the pieces kind of all lined up with what their intentions were to do and how they wanted to progress as a business and what we were able to do from a support perspective. Yeah, yeah, because this is an important point, right, is, is there's a lot of people who want, in, in these industrial, these ICS-type environments, right, um, which is what you know, we, we now call the edge. But the, the point is, is that these are environments where there have been computers out there doing stuff for a long sure. time, right? <laughs> Generating data and doing stuff with that data. But if those systems are still running on the old infrastructure, right, where this application or this, this process control system has to run on that computer right there because it's the only one that has like the serial bus on the back connector <laughs> on the back of it that feeds the right or whatever you know all those scenarios like you have to moderate like like virtualization of all of that stuff is a step for a step toward if you want to do this fancy stuff like this customer is doing where you get this uh, this really cool uh, uh autonomous operation you're not gonna be able to do like it doesn't matter how good they are with the with the scripting and the data science and everything. If if your if your process control systems are still running uh, the old way, and, and, or am I like am I exaggerating this or the, this I is mean, my understanding, they, right? Like it all needs to get right. To, so they to get still have a controller. They have a, a, an on-site controller, you know, taking the the valve positions and and looking at the measurements. All that's still fed into a PLC, and then that PLC ties into right. the SCADA network. So there's from a controls perspective. That's not really a new architecture or a big change, but right, putting the right, SCADA right. in the virtual environment was a little bit different, right? That's, that's more yeah, of a new thing, yeah. yeah. But you need that in order to do this other stuff. I mean, it, it does enable you to do more, right? So, yeah, so okay. if, if, if your intention is to do more. <laughs> carefully, carefully worded, that's very, very good. <laughs> um, yeah, it helps to do, uh, you know, I had this, um, I, I think, you know, this. like, I grew up in the consulting world, right? Like professionally, I grew up. Um, and one of the first things that I learned when I got, when I got to be experienced enough that they would let me write, you know, proposals and, 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 or statements of work or whatever, things like that was, you would say, uh, you know, and, and by, by doing this, it will enable this. And they always insert the no, 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 helps, helps to enable, right? Or helps to deliver or helps to, like the word help suddenly appeared in everything. It never, it never did it for sure, but it will help to. <laughs> so, um, all right, this gets into another thing though, right? Which is, uh, which comes up over and over again. And at the risk of talking about it too much, the security thing is still a big thing, right? Especially in uh, in these environments. Um, I mean, and and everybody, vendors and commentators and pundits and everybody are swarming around this cybersecurity thing. Uh, in fact, tomorrow or Wednesday, we're just talking about this. I'm going to be, I, I'm going to be moderating the panel at the Chemical Forum for Rockwell and and. And like cybersecurity is one of the things that we have to sure. talk about. Everybody wants to insert cybersecurity into the into the discussion. But you said something interesting um, when we were just when we were chatting before 
uh, about people. Um, well, actually, let me back up. A little, a little bit of history. How did we get to? How did we get to? Because I feel like people don't talk about this enough. How did we get to caring so much about cybersecurity in these environments? I mean, it's kind of a new thing. Um, and, and how did well, that I mean, happen? It's, it's, it's a new thing, but really it's not a new thing. I mean, if you go back, you know, um, the, the, the one that I think is the first real event that, you know, a lot of people will recall or maybe know something about was the Stuxnet virus. Uh, that was, you know, 2010. So, you know, that was the first real industrial automation. 2010, that's just like yeah, a couple just, years just ago, a couple right? Years ago, right? right? I can't, yeah, right. 11, all right, fine. The, the so, hack- yeah. So, so re- recap that a little bit for those who were still like playing Super Mario uh, during that time. What, what, uh, what was the. What was so, so the Stuxnet virus was a, 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 a virus crafted to affect a particular piece of equipment um, that was operating, it, it was actually a centrifuge, uh, and, and it mm-hmm. was. Uh, designed to mask the real readings from the centrifuge uh, and allow the operator to uh, overspeed the centrifuge without knowing, basically accepting the command to run and then taking that run command and multiplying it by some variable uh, and then mm. feeding back the, uh, the data to the controller saying that, hey, we're all good here and nothing's going on. And why would somebody want to do this? Is this just a prank? Like, why would well, somebody want to do this? I mean, the, this was intended to destroy a particular brand of centrifuge that was used in a particular part of the world uh, in an area where they were working on It's all becoming stuff. clear uh, now. <laughs> right, right. This wasn't like a this wasn't like a high school high school chemistry no, no. class, right? No, yeah. no. So, but yeah, okay. but what it taught right. us is you know. Industrial cybersecurity systems, one, are vulnerable, uh, and two, it, it's not that complex to confuse the readings and change, you know, basically mask what's going into the unit, mask what's coming out of the unit, and you end up destroying the equipment. Um, and it was this virus that existed in all over the world, but it only had one target and it only had one purpose. But it was found all over the world. And at that time, how many people were, you know, all the systems were air-gapped. So this, this, this yeah. operation system that this virus found its way into was never connected to the Internet, was never connected to a network. It was completely an air-gapped system. It was a complete uh, automation SCADA system that was not tied to anything outside of SCADA. Uh, and so what the, yeah. the, the example is, the learning, I guess, should be, is that you know? No matter if you think you're safe because you're not connected to anything, the air gap theory has been disproved because it was either malicious mm-hmm. hardware on someone's laptop when they plugged in to do some work on a control system, or a USB right. someone plugged in to download a file to put something into the control system. One way, shape, or form, this thing made it through the air gap and infected the system and caused you know lots of damage. Uh, yeah, what wasn't that when uh, wasn't that when a lot of the big companies started um, like jamming screwdrivers into USB ports on all their that's PCs? That's when everybody and started locking right? down yeah. USB ports and making them. Yes, you yeah. have to, you know, all, all un, un, yeah. unused ports have to be locked in the in the BIOS and all this good stuff. Yes. Yeah, right, right, right. I remember that. Um, so, 
So I, the screwdriver method I thought was faster, but, um, um, but, but so this is interesting because a lot of times when we talk about, um, about cybersecurity in these industrial environments, the sort of the regular kind of refrain is, well, this didn't used to be so much of a concern before we started connecting everything to a net, right? Before we started connecting things, this drive for connectedness and because we want to get the data from everywhere and use it for everything, um, you know, there's some there's some amount of like, uh, you know, the the war between the IT people and the OT people uh, involves the OT people saying, no, 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 this is why we never used to connect this stuff to to the WAN or to the internet or to what right because because it creates all these all these new risks, which I think that does create new risks. But yeah, I, I think I think the expansion what, of the network is actually what we're talking about. The expansion of the control net uh, control network to include advanced computing, to be able to use things like AI and ML, absolutely are uh, going to open up the environment to, uh, you know, the potential for cyber events. You know, I mean, having data in the cloud, uh, having connected assets. I mean, all these things uh, on the compute platform could cause potential problems. And I think, you know, understanding that yes, we are expanding the network infrastructure and having that at top of mind as we think about, as we expand and open ourselves up to risk, what are we doing to mitigate that risk? Uh, you know, and I, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. And I think just so long as everyone understands that it, it is a challenge, it is something we need to be aware of, and it is something you need to be, uh, you know, basically have built into every budget that you have. How are you going to protect your system from this stuff? Right. Uh, but there's there's all kinds of you know applications and, and ways to do it. Uh, and uh, so I think it's it's a very fascinating topic. And and looking at you know uh, the the most recent one to make the headlines from an oil and gas perspective, I would say is Colonial. And, and looking at you know what happened there and how was their yeah, network yeah. affected. And uh, you know what was interesting the the operations network was still kind of disconnected from the IT network, but there were a couple of applications that had that were fed by OT data when it came to like uh, ticketing and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, 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 know, these yeah. are just one or two applications yeah, is all it takes to say that that network is connected to this. And if we got to shut that one down, then we better protect ourselves by shutting the other one down, right? Shut the other one down, yeah. So this is interesting because... Um, so what's really interesting, and I hadn't really thought about the Stuxnet thing, um, because there are going back to the whole um, the whole war between, or I mean, I, I think I think we're getting past this, but but the idea that okay, this this is a bad idea to connect all these industrial systems in these new ways that we're connecting them because it creates all these vulnerabilities. Really, what you're saying is that Stuxnet had already proven that this was a problem we needed to solve anyway. hundred percent. Right. So it's no good. So it's no good to say, it's no good to stand back and go, all right, 
all these fancy digital transformation benefits aren't worth it because we're creating too much risk, security risk over here. The risk was already there. So, so with or without your fancy di- digital transformation stuff, this this pro- this risk still needs to be addressed. Is really what that. And I hadn't thought of that. It's a, that's a great. It's a great insight because because we've been so focused on people. Um, you know, arguing about the risk versus the benefit of of the, and the I'm, risk. I'm just wondering, the was the guys arguing about the risk versus the benefit the same ones that were shoving the screwdrivers in the USB port? In the USB <laughs> ports, they were. They were the exact same. In fact, they were they were doing that as we as we spoke. They were shoving the. Because I mean, really, I think you know. This whole effort has been proven over so many times. I mean, there's several examples that you can point to of customers that are just, you know, seeing, um, you know, 20% reduction in unplanned downtime. Uh, you know, yeah, it's huge. Uh, 20% yeah. reduction or 15% reduction in this cost, 8%, 10% reduction in this cost. And this percentage of these costs are, you know, percentages of multiple millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, it, right. it's, it's yeah. easily justifies itself when you make the transition and understand how these applications will help you um, optimize your business, but you have to be cognizant of the risk and understand how to plan for the risk and what you're going to do to mitigate that risk. Right. Exactly. And, and, and you're, and you're right too. I think I'm, I think, I think, I think some of that arguing has more or less gone away, but there, but it certainly was there at the beginning and, and, and it's just ironic now to look back and go, well, you were kind of arguing over nothing because you had you had the I, risk. I was already. one of those technicians at one point in my career. And, you, and the, I know you were. The communication network right. never touches yep. the, the, the automation network. Get that like, stuff Why out. do we have two yes. networks going to this yes. site? Nobody lives there. Oh, because one's for communications right. and one's for automation. <laughs> and one's for opera. Yes. And, <laughs> and they're air gaps. That's right. And, they're uh, isolated. I'm like, wait a second. They pass on the same radio. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so I have a confession to make, and that is that uh, before we started this, I forgot to start the little timer that tells me how long we've been talking. So I don't know. I feel like it's been about thirty-five minutes or something like that. So I, I'm so so full transparency to the audience because uh, you know I always believe in full transparency most of the time, and uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think we're at that point where we should wrap up. So sure. I feel like I feel like it's probably this might be a good time. Um, any but but before we do that, any other like uh, um, last uh, uh, brilliant kernels of wisdom or anything that you want to? Because the thing I think this is really good is what you've what you've what we've really hit on today is is there's it's not just theoretical, right? And I know this isn't the only example, but this is a real life example of how the the pain and the cost and the difficulty to get this stuff in place which happened in various iterations as you described now is having real benefit so so as you're looking at that what what other uh, good lessons um would you would you share with folks who are trying to go down these same paths you know, i i think there's um all kinds of folks developing um working on applications to do some really wonderful things in the oil and gas space you know, when you think about uh, emissions control and mitigation of methane, uh, you know, you think about leak detection. Uh, there, there are so many various ways that folks are focused on providing real-time data to solve a lot of the challenges in the oil and gas space. And I think that understanding how these networks connect, how the data moves around, and understanding how to secure that stuff 
is really going to enable us to take advantage of all these applications that are being developed to ju just move the industry to the next level, which is what we're always being asked to do. How can you be better tomorrow than you were today? Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. So we'll end on that. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> that's good. So um, what else? I think that's it. I think that, oh, so uh, I'll see you. I'll see you this. Uh, so, you, so you need to come by Wednesday when I'm uh, moderating the chemical for, I, I need a heckler in the audience just to liven. I, just I, to, I'll try to put that on my calendar. <laughs> that would be good. That'd be good to have somebody there. Um, so, uh, well, I was going to tell the audience if you're, if, but by the time they hear this, the, the Rockwell automation fair will have passed. So, uh, so your opportunity is, is, is gone. Anyway, Corey, Corey Aleman, thank you very much. Uh, always great talking with you. I appreciate you making time. My, to my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Michael and the oil and gas global network really enjoy the conversation every time we have it. So, uh, looking forward to the next time. So we just, We'll just keep having it. All right. Very good. Take care. Thanks. Well, there you go, folks. Corey Alemon from Stratus Technologies. I always love talking with Corey about what's going on in the industry, you know, even when we're not on a podcast or in a panel. Because, um, by the way, Corey's also not a bad guy to just uh, hang out with, have a couple beers. But, um, you know, he's just he's been in the industry for, for a long time. He's, he's, he's done a lot of the things himself. Um, and, and now he's working with a lot of customers. He has some great insights. So, uh, so that's it. That's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, don't forget, don't forget that... Uh, the Oil & Gas Global Network is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry, which means that if you like this one, there's, we probably have another one that you like. You probably ought to check out, if you haven't already, check out my, I guess like we call it my sister show, the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, which, uh, which is where we look at technology as well. But we, we focus a little bit more, a little less on the tech and a little bit more on what people are actually doing and how they're getting business value. And I don't know, you know what, the subjects cross over. A lot. Really, it's just it's just a reason for me to put out two episodes a week instead of one. But if you like this one, check that one out. If you like these, go to OGGN.com and learn about um, all the other all the other great programs that we have. And that is that is really going to wrap it up for today. That's all I wanted to say. So remember, uh, when you go out there, um, <laughs> when you're walking around, whatever your next industry event is. And uh, there's always that one person, right? There's always that person that's, that's out there, you know, talking about how oil and gas is behind the times and slow to adopt and blah, 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 all that stuff. Well, you've heard me give the speech. You got to find that person. You got to set them straight. And you got to give them, you got to teach them about the reality that uh, right here in this old-fashioned industry, we were tech before tech was cool. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.